Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Nicole Crowder, and this is How I Create. Welcome to This Is How We Create, a show that digs deeper into the creative life of contemporary artists of color. Discover what feeds their creativity and how they've found or are finding their artistic voice. Through these intimate and candid conversations, you'll gain insights into the lives of creative professionals of color that are hard to find anywhere else. Welcome back to This Is How We Create. Today, we have Nicole Crowder in the guest chair. Nicole is a furniture designer and upholsterer whose global upbringing shaped her deep appreciation for design in all its international forms. Before discovering her true passion for upholstery, Nicole honed her skills as a photo editor. This fine understanding of art direction instilled in her a deep love for crafting immersive vignettes that create life in her finished upholstery pieces. In this conversation, Nicole shares how to find and maintain your artistic voice. More importantly, she gives great advice on how to tune your artistic voice and vision, particularly when negotiating brand partnerships. Her next big project will be to work more deeply in the world of textile and textile design. Let's turn our attention to Nicole's bio. Nicole Crowder Upholstery is a modern furniture and upholstery studio creating innovative, one-of-a-kind pieces of furniture and home furnishings. Nicole released her first custom furniture collection with retailer World Market in 2022. Nicole's work spans commercial, hospitality, and editorial clients. Her work has been commissioned by leading hotels and restaurants across the country. You might have spied her work in leading design publications such as Architectural Digest, El Decor, Martha Stewart Magazine, Design Milk, Domino.com, and many more. I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation with Nicole. We had such great fun talking about design and about her journey to working with textiles with upholstery. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to This Is How We Create. My name is Martine Severn. I am your host. And today in the guest chair, I am so pleased to welcome Nicole Crowder. Welcome. Welcome. Martine, I'm so, so excited to be here with you in conversation. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to chat with you because I've followed your career from afar. And I think I stumbled across you and maybe it was 2014. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) A minute. (laughs) It's been been a good minute. And so I'm pleased to chat with you about your journey from childhood to now to what you have coming up next Mm -hmm. as um, not only through upholstery, but also now mostly as a surface designer. Is that how what you're calling yourself now? I mostly do furniture design and upholstery, but it is definitely broadening to like writing and creating patterns, um, mostly for like specific projects. But I would say like the furniture designer is still what I do. It's just expanded so much. Well, we're going to get to that. First, I'd love for you to chat with us a little bit about you and what you were like as a child. Um, where did you grow up and how did your 
your childhood influence your work now or your creative work? Mm, so I, well, I was born a military kid, an army brat, some would, would kind of say, and my parents were both in the military. I was born in Germany on a military base. And then um, we bounced around a lot when I was a kid. We traveled to Germany. Uh, we were in Japan. We were in South Korea, all along the East Coast the southern part of the United States, a couple of like northern states as well. But traveling as I was growing up really just opened my sense of curiosity about people, cultures, music, food. Truly, you know, living in, in Asia specifically is where my palate was just burst wide open in terms of like what things tasted like and textures. And I feel like that's left one of the biggest imprints on me just in terms of wanting to explore design. Design is so rich throughout Asia. I mean, really all over the place, of course, but there is, it's just woven into the tapestry of like where you live. And so growing up, I was surrounded by great design, beautiful colors, a lot of like contrasting elements. And I can tell so deeply how that's continued to be a thread throughout my work. Um, I love mixing patterns. I love mixing textures and textiles. And I'm just a naturally curious person. So it's been, if I didn't have that part of me where I'm just, you know, there's no reservation about going up to ask someone about their story or about how they do a thing or, you know, where they sort of got this inspiration from um, or this idea for something. All of that is from my childhood, from being a introverted, shy, you know, middle child who kind of explored my sense of imagination and expression through books, through um, drawing and art. And now I'm able to sort of feed that inner child through the work that I get to do every single day. And it's it's incredible. <laughs> from what I understand from college, you started your career, well, after college, you started your career as an intern at Essence Magazine and InStyle yeah. Magazine. You went on to work as a photo editor at the Washington Post, correct? Yes, I started um, as an intern with Essence Magazine in their photo department. And then that just really like exposed me to what photo editors do. I had never even heard of a photo editor when I was interning. And they helped me sort of get this position at AARP, the first company that I worked for. It was geared towards the 50 plus population. And I was working with their magazine in DC at the time. My first full-time job, my eyes were wide open for the experiences. And it was just incredible learning how to package something with other designers and art directors and fellow photo editors. And I really just became sort of enamored with publications in general. And that's where like the seeds were planted. And from there, I moved over to the Washington Post. I worked with, I interned with InStyle as well. I did some um, work with National Geographic Traveler, all these sort of dream places for me where I was able to like, you know, create the, the visual narrative in collaboration with editors. It was such a great form of storytelling that I just didn't realize. I love to read stories, but getting a space to tell them in a really visual way was so impactful. Curating and developing an eye for curation, for looking at a whole frame, for making sure that you see the big picture and what are all the moving parts to make that big picture come to life, again, would, unbeknownst to me, would later inform my upholstery work and the fact that I could take those elements of photo editing and design, you know, still be able to incorporate them into a completely different discipline. One of the things that, or one of the people that photographers are always drawn to are photo editors because in so many ways that they're the gatekeepers. Exactly. Um, they help us um, tell better stories. They have the eye in the yeah. figuring out what actually, what images will, will tell a story super, super well, will relate to the reader. 
Yes, exactly. So I can only imagine how <laughs> if you had continued down that road, oh I gosh. potentially could have had a portfolio review with you at some point. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, those are one of my favorite things to do because I my my passion really was just like identifying emerging photographers, burgeoning photographers who already have incredible talent, but it's just like tapping them to do great stories. And those portfolio reviews that I would go to, I met some great friends, people to this day, like who I've known for 10 years now, started out with portfolio reviews. And I, I do think sometimes like, oh, what would it be like to be back in that pocket, you know, working with magazines and being able to just look at a ton of images and figure out what's the story around them. It's, I am a a magazine girl to my heart. So to this day, I'm still combing through them and like looking in the margins to see what's the photo credit. You know, I literally, um, I have a magazine next to me from the local publication here in Minneapolis, St. Paul Home and Design. And I'm like, let me flip through and see who took all these pictures. Cause I just, photography is such a big part of my heart and my spirit. And I, I hope it's always that way. Yeah. I mean, especially now, right? Mm. Through your yeah. work, because I'm assuming that as you put together campaigns around your work that are you actually photo directing or do you yes. just know oh yes oh yes honey <laughs> like I am I'm so hands-on with that because I just love it I love art direction one of my best girlfriends is an art director who we worked in the same publication together that's how we met and we are always you know figuring out okay what's the textile that goes here what's the mug that goes here what direction is the spoon tilted in and so when I'm thinking of my own, you know, sort of art direction for my chairs. I was just in my studio this afternoon figuring out, okay, what's the placement of the bookshelf? And then, you know, there's a lamp over here, the plant. I want to turn that a little bit because I'm trying, I'm, I'm conscious at all times of what I want the focus to be of an image and how everything around it works in tandem to make sure that that object is elevated in the focus. And with furniture, I want it to feel like it's in a vignette so that you as a potential buyer or customer can see it in your home. But I also always am thinking of my pictures as like, how do I elevate the chair to look like its own form of art? I want it to feel sculptural. It's on a platform someplace. And it's not because I like over revere an object, but it's just like, I love the idea of elevating an object and making you see it in a different way, whether it's you know natural light or studio light or this plant somehow the dimensions of that make the chair's dimension, you know, kind of skew that a little bit. I'm always playing around with, you know, creating vignettes. When my the running joke with me and my friends, how vignette is one of my favorite words. But yes, if I can like see it in my mind, I love playing around with it to become actualized in a in a little square or so. Well, so we know that you okay, I know. Our, our listeners might not know, but as we started chit-chatting about what we were going to cover in this conversation, I think I told you very specifically that I wanted to talk a little bit about brand partnerships mm -hmm. and about licensing because there's such a wealth of information that is already out there on your journey to mm. how you came to be where you are now. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but okay. could you give me like just a short, I guess, uh, recap of yes. how you started uh, getting interested in upholstery yeah. to um, basically having an upholstery business that took off and yeah. then now you are in a different phase of your business where you have brand partnerships and are doing more things which we'll talk yeah. about later. It's even surreal to hear that, you know, going from like working in my studio to like having brand partnerships is so surreal to think about in, in this time frame. But I 
started truly like 2012, sort of unofficially working out of my home at the time that I was sharing with a friend and exploring like, wow, finally looking at shares and seeing them as not just practical things that I sit in, but something that I could really transform. And that's where my curiosity was peaked. I started playing around with furniture, small items like dining room chairs, little pop cushion seats, you know, singular seats here and there, to gradually graduating to ottomans and benches, and then eventually couches and settees and uh, sectionals. Those items I was selling at farmer's markets initially, and it was fantastic. Anytime somebody came around and was like, you know, how much is this? Getting a sale was the highlight right there. And eventually I just continued to expand working with residential clients, people who had, you know, a an heirloom chair here and there that had been in their family for years. That was so much word of mouth built around it because at the time, this was 2013, 2014 in DC, there just wasn't a really big market for upholsterers, especially young Black upholsterers like myself who were doing really bold, unique pieces. So I was able to tap into that market of folks who wanted something super different than what was available to them in other stores. And I started just building up a residential clientele, and that expanded into hotels and restaurants and more commercial clients across D.C., which was fantastic and was like a long-term dream of mine to be able to work with those kind of entities. And that happened within the first year or so of me starting. And then through that process, I moved from like one big studio to a bigger studio, which just allowed me to expand my the capabilities for the furniture that I could work on. And it was not just residential clients, but it became like hospitality clients and people who were in the film industry. And that's when I was thinking like, oh man, there's all new possibilities for where my work could be. June of 2020, I remember it vividly. I was in my studio working on a chair and I checked, I happened to check my email and um, I saw an email from World Market and they were asking if I was ever interested in producing my own furniture and fabric collection. And I was just like, hello, I think I dropped my phone because it was such a surreal moment, something I had been, you know, hoping would happen, but didn't expect to happen for like, you know, 10 years into my career at that point, because I'm, I'm just a small person working in DC, you know, who who knows me, it was, it was so wonderful at first, because they were super acknowledgeable of the fact that they hadn't used black designers previously with their collections, their furniture collections. And so they wanted my signature of bold prints, you know, contrasting fabrics and patterns, and I could basically provide sketches for the furniture that I wanted to create. So it was very collaborative starting out, but I was thinking to myself, I was like, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I've never done licensing before. I don't know how to negotiate royalties or any of that. And I didn't even know who to ask. Justina Blakeney, who is just an incredible person, designer, all around creative, you know, woman and powerhouse, so gracious. And I was so grateful to her because I emailed her just to see would she be able to help me negotiate or navigate through this because, you know, she was the queen of having partnerships and licensing with Target and you know, Opal House and many other brands. And I was so just like blown away and and grateful that she took time to really be transparent with me about what to ask for, what to look for, and what to make sure I included in my contracts. So I, uh, my best friend, her sister is a lawyer because I didn't even know where to find a lawyer. I was like, who? what is an entertainment lawyer? What kind of attorney do I need for this process? I know I cannot negotiate these terms on my own. And <laughs> she was amazing at culling through the initial contract that we had with them. And I'm so so glad she did because the jargon, I, I had a headache just trying to read through and, and figure out what it meant. But there were a lot of terms in there 
Um, and having someone who truly is an advocate for you is critical because she was able to help me negotiate a higher fee, a higher royalty fee to make sure that long term, you know, this work belonged to me and that my name would con continue to like travel with this work. Just little parts that I probably myself wouldn't have been cognizant to even ask for. And through this process of working with a a huge brand who was coming to you, I slowly had to let go of this mindset that, you know, um, I should just be like grateful that they reached out to me, that I couldn't advocate for myself when I felt like certain design decisions did not feel or look like me, or that the language and the contract or the language for this particular part of the, the process just did not feel right. And it was a lot of listening to my intuition because I did not have a manager. I still don't. Do not have a um, an agent. It's just me advocating in this space for myself day to day with this huge brand. And I really had to take off the hat that like, you're just grateful to be at this, this table and they've reached out to you. It was like, no, you're a businesswoman. This is your whole name on these pieces. And I wanted to make sure that if it was going to be licensed and sold, that it had to be in alignment. And there was this reciprocity to where I was 100% happy with what went out into the world on all terms. And so it was such a big exercise um, in saying yes and no to certain things, being able to not just do that in emails, but being able to do that over the phone, in person. I just built up this muscle of like, you know, I'm the prize and this work is my signature. This work will travel with me no matter where I go. And how I show up is professional, but it's also very clear and it's also very intentional with like what I'm trying to present. And it was, you know, the collection was named after my, the women in my family who really supported me. So there was no way I was going to just let this become something, you know, that, that did not feel like it was supported in the best way. And so I, I, I bumped up against some things I didn't expect in the way of support from a large brand. And that also made me realize everybody doesn't know how to treat you and you have to tell them. You have to tell them who you are. It does not matter if it is multi-million dollar brand or a small, you know, hometown brand. You you can say this is how I want my work to exist in the world and this is how I, I want us to work together. And so working with that. So can I ask oh, yeah. um, more specifically if you're okay sharing what are some of the things that you bumped up against? Sure, absolutely. I uh, one of the initial things was with the design. It was my work is all based on mixing and matching contrasting prints. Rarely do I use one print for a whole piece. And there was a point in the beginning or sort of midway through where they wanted me to like, you know, use these uh, fabrics that they were beautiful, but it was like one fabric for the whole piece. And I was like, that's not who I am, basically. This is not a piece that I would put out. And so they, there was this back and forth of like, well, we can't find the matching color that you want to do this other fabric. And I was confused by that because the same company was making both of these fabrics. And I, I just didn't understand why we couldn't do a color match to a fabric they had already provided me with. So it was the lack of communication with some of these emails and having to consistently follow up and follow up and not hearing back for like a month, sometimes two months later. There was no transparency with the timeline at all. So I was like, where are we in this process and what is owed to you and what is owed to me? You know, what are the deadlines? Big issue for me, however, or one of the big issues came down to just the visuals of how this collection was going to be presented into the world. My understanding 
because we had discussed this during a, a meeting at the headquarters was there was a marketing person or team who would be handling like the visuals for this, um, the photo shoots and all that stuff. So I, of course, my background being photo editing, I was like, oh, I'm more than happy if you know to help with like the creative direction or thinking of a concept for how to photograph things in the studio, etc. No response from that. Fast forward five months, and at this point, it's probably May or June, and the collection is supposed to come out in January, <laughs> meaning, you know, photos should be taken so that they can be sent out to press outlet. And I hadn't heard back anything. So they reached out to me a month after and said, hey, you know, we'd love to get a headshot to send for press outlets, you know, to sort of for, to get interviews going. And I was like, wonderful. A friend of mine had taken a few headshots of me several months prior because I got a new studio. At that time, I had a new wig. So I was like, we don't get these shots. I sent them those photographs <laughs> and they write me back and say, okay, great. Which one can we use for the in-store graphic? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like you have to pay the photographer a commercial rate to use these pictures since they're going to be for a nationwide campaign. And that seemed to just completely go right over their head to where they were like, well, we don't have budget to pay for these pictures. So I was like, well, what did you expect? You know, how were you expecting to promote the collection if you don't have budget for photography, if this wasn't even considered? And so we got, on, I got on the phone with the head of the furniture department, essentially. And she understood automatically that I was frustrated with this. And I said, there was no thought you all had no intention of doing a photo shoot to promote this collection. You were just hoping to use a free image that I happened to take on my, you know, with the photographer that I already paid for a whole campaign. That doesn't make sense to me. And I said, this feels a bit like, you know, you were wanting to work with a Black designer for optics to show that you all were using a Black designer. And I really, you know, I had to call them out on that because the sort of the communication with them was making me feel like I wasn't being heard. And they very quickly, the next day I got an email and was like, you know what, we've set up a photo shoot, we've got a team, we've got hair and makeup and a photographer, we're going to fly you out to our headquarters. And that's how I got the pictures that had been circulating on my Instagram, on their website. There was no, they didn't even have a press team in place to basically help promote this collection. I was getting ready to hire my own press team. This is where we were when randomly I just, you know, I got an email from editor at Architectural Digest and another editor at uh, Business of Home who just happened, you know, to read about me in a different publication and wanted to talk about the collection. But I was just really disheartened by the lack of overall vision, you know, for support for my collaboration with uh, World Market. I think I was just kind of shell-shocked too at like my assumption was this brand kind of had a sense for what they were doing with working with um, a designer. And what I learned was like over-communication, if you're going to err on any side, is err on the side of over-communication, that you as the creative, the maker, have every right to ask multiple questions, to get super granular as you need to, to ask for all of the, like I negotiated an increase in my royalties. I was just like, you know, what you offered me is good, but I know that I am valued at more. I know this collection is valued at more. So I asked for more. And it never hurts to to advocate for yourself when you're coming with really good intentions and when you can provide like receipts for that. Anything at any point if they wanted to come and ask me, but why? But why? I had an answer because I, I understood my business model. I understood my value. I understood that you had approached me about contributing to your platform. So there was that understanding that perhaps they didn't know who they were, you know, getting involved with, but I surely did. All I have to say is sookie, sookie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, so that's so know. interesting. Yeah, but I mean, from the outside, it, it looked like fairy dust was just mm-hmm. sprinkled. And from what I understand, this this whole process took about two years. Two before years. Yeah. And I mean, you know, of course, it was going through a pandemic and there was tons of delays with shipping and delivery because the bulk of the products were made in India. And so the shipping timeline, I'm sure, increased when the collection, not when it came out, but just maybe some things being finished. Fabric was a big expense to ship. But I also think there was just a really small team and they were also in transition. So there was a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes that I was also learning. I'm like, oh, okay, you guys don't have an in-house X team. And there's only one person as opposed to a whole team doing this. Whereas, you know, my understanding from friends who've worked with other brands, it's like there's infrastructure that is in place. You know, they have like a two-year lead time and they are hitting beats every single month up to that point because this is just what they do. They're very aware of the process of of partnerships with brands. And I think World Market was... um, they released a wave of Black artists, but they were all working with them at the same time. And there wasn't that learning curve of like, oh, this was what we did, you know, with this person's partnership that we need to course correct. It was just like building as you kind of, you know, go. And I wasn't used to that. And not even from a licensing standpoint, because again, this was my first licensing opportunity, but from a standpoint of like, we're releasing a product. So therefore we're working months backwards to ensure everything is airtight and buttoned up. And that comes from my experience working as a photo editor for Netflix. You know, long leads on those projects, you had to work months backwards to make sure you hit all the beats. Same thing with the Washington Post, same thing with Essence, same thing with AARP. So for me, it was just like, okay, you need to put another hat on here. Go ahead and do that now because you you have to let go of the expectation that they are driving the car. One thing to me that is so remarkable is that you were just prepared for this. And you know how they talk about luck is when opportunity meets, I don't, I don't I forget what it's called, yeah. when preparedness, mm-hmm. something like that. I, I just, as you were recounting the story, I could just imagine that, you know, you and Justina Blakely, I think you were both in the company of women, right? You were both yeah. featured. Well, she was featured. I wasn't, but I mean, I, I look at that book all the time. Oh, you weren't, fe- I feel some reason I think that you, no. maybe it was Lisa Hunt. I was, um, I think it was a later book, but Grace oh. Bonnie is such a dear friend. That book was one of the ones where I was like a fangirl meeting her, but I did a panel with her about that book. And I was just like, Grace, from here on out, we go together. She's oh, just so she's fantastic. Awesome. She's amazing. I look at that book all the time. It's so good. Oh, I have it yeah. behind me. <laughs> but I, I just think about all of the relationships that you made over time where you were able to tap into your network to be yes. able to gain clarity and set yourself up for success. So from there, you seem to be keeping busy. You recently had... Um, several pieces of content that you created for Home 52. Yes. Yeah. And how do you continue to uh, manage these brand partnerships that you you have coming your way? And now that you've learned such a big lesson through this world market partnership, um, what are some things that you've decided that you're not going to do in the future? Great question. I think it looks like a two-part question. I'll go to the second one first because that's about what I learned uh, from this that I'll take with me. A big one is to just take more time reading the contract and not feeling the sense of urgency that, you know, if you don't do it now or today, it's going to, you know, dissipate. It's going to be lost. And that's not true. It's like, 
I really, just in general, I am training myself a little more to pause for everything, you know, pause before I'm saying yes to something or committing to something, pause before I like speak about something. Um, And especially, you know, with this, uh, with something that has your name and long-term ramifications, you know, for hopefully for the better, of course, I think it is sitting with information and combing through it a few times just to make sure it feels good in my gut and my spirit. And that by saying yes to this thing is it's a resounding yes. I also learned like just for me going forward is having more of a team in place too. At the time it was, you know, I was just three years into upholstery, wasn't really thinking of myself in terms of content creation or negotiating bigger deals down the road. I was perfectly comfortable negotiating, you know, my individual client contracts and rates, but It taught me so much of like, I don't want to be doing a lot of that front facing work in the sense of I'm also negotiating the rate that I get and the royalties. So it's getting a team in place that can help facilitate that, that can advocate for me on this end, the same way the business on their end has someone advocating for them. And it's just like, great, this opportunity sounds good. I'm super happy to do that work. I can knock it out. And my manager then can take over and be like, wonderful. Here are the terms. Here is the rate because they also can see the vision for where I want to go with my business. And I just have another voice to advocate for me and also to remind me sometimes like you said you wanted to do this, but you're saying less, you're saying yes to something that's less. That is a really critical component, I think, in the same way of having, you know, a partner who is supportive or friends who are supportive of of what you're doing because it's just it keeps you accountable for licensing one of the other things i've learned is more skews is more skews it's better having for me more pieces that i can put out into the world and what one for my imagination but also just in terms of like the accessibility points that people can can get to my work makes me happier like the chairs have been one thing but i've over my the course of my business i've just learned like People want more takeaway items, too, because they want to invest in you. But sometimes they can't make that deep investment of, you know, thousands of dollars on a particular piece. But they can buy a pillow. They can buy a napkin ring. Maybe they can come to a retreat. You know, they can buy um, a fixture that you have on the table. So I've I've challenged myself. And, and you you mentioned this, like the opportunities kind of meet me meeting the opportunity when it when it came because I was prepared, I have been just sketching a lot more, getting back into that rhythm of like, what do I want to see created in the world, whether I make it myself or I'm working with a brand partner to do that. The reason I was even able to step into that world market partnership was because I already had tons of sketches, you know, that I had been percolating and thinking about ready to present to them and finesse. So I would say, you know, have your vision already kind of, if not completely worked out or fleshed out, just have a sketch, a skeleton idea so that you can speak more confidently to what you want to create with this brand versus they dictate, you know, what you are creating. And you had a first part of the question. I'm so sorry, I'm a chatter. So I apologize for rambling, but you had a, a part one of your question that I think I which I don't quite remember <laughs> oh, I'm sorry because I was so like into what you were saying let I me see I have to talking um I think you asked oh about... I think I I think I think I mentioned how you managed the the, the relationships um yes. well we could move on because okay. I honestly <laughs> I'm over here just talking, girl. Honestly, sometimes I shoot from the hip. I have like a list of questions and then then ideas pop in my head. Um, Sure. And so 
um, you've talked a lot about how you love the color green. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> um, and you talk about how you love textiles. And do I understand correctly that you are starting to maybe even develop your own textiles? Yes, it's I. You know, I was kept saying to myself for a few years, like, ah, oh, I don't really, I don't know how to do that, you know. And then so many signs and synchronicities have been popping up to say like this is the next thing that you should be creating for yourself or for you know for for the work and for people to engage with I just met with a fantastic fabric company that's actually based in Minneapolis I didn't know that this whole time it's called Charlotte Fabrics I thought they were in Charlotte North Carolina but they are right here outside of Minneapolis and we met um one to collaborate with them but then also you know I'm dreaming up like what a possibility of to create my own fabrics could look like and green is certainly you know, a top color that I would love to work with because it's just, it reminds me so much of like my grandmother, who is also an Aries, who also green is her favorite color, who really taught me about archiving everything, you know, like she gave me my first journal, she gave me my first like brownie camera. And so when I think of that color, it reminds me of like life, of rebirth, of energy, of love, and it reminds me of her. And so I want to infuse that color with, you know, in anything that I'm I'm working on in some sort of way. But the textiles would be incredible for, for me to create my own collection. I have a fantastic friend named Hadia Williams, who is a surface designer and a pattern maker. And she and I are working together on a big project that's, um, it'll be in 2024, which we, we can't uh, announce just yet. We, we don't have permission to do so, but it is, I mean, that project right there is going to be the biggest that I to my uh, yet in my career that I have done and it heavily involves textiles and and custom upholstery so I feel like the universe has been saying this is you know another arena for you to play in and that's been really fun because I I love the discovery phase of any sort of you know process whether professionally or personally oh gosh I'm so excited for you and is Hadia um the one who created the domino fabric is she no no? that was um anicia durka she yes another fantastic friend she works for p kaufman and i very serendipitous how i came across her i used that fabric and then um i tagged p kaufman but then she somehow found me and she messaged me on instagram and said hey you know i'm so happy you love that fabric i designed it this whole time I'm using this fabric, I had no idea it was designed by a black woman. And when she and I got on a Zoom call to chat, um, she was just sharing me the process for how she works, you know, with an agency. She basically oversees all the designs, you know, that they have. And she will just, you know, she she drafts out a bunch of different designs and then they look at a bunch of different colorways to make these. And then they decide, OK, what's the material? Is it linen? Is it jacquard? Is it twill? And they produce this beautiful fabric work. And I'm like, it's the coolest job. I love that she is the face of it or, you know, behind the scenes. It just, that whole world is fascinating to me about how fabric is made. Truly, how do you get a design from like your computer to this material? I don't know. So I have lots of questions and it's it's exciting and she's, mm. she's phenomenal. Well, I'm so pleased for you. I, I think one of the things that really excites me about the work that you're doing, not only because of, you know, you're just an amazing person and a great personality, but you are actively writing the history of African-Americans in furniture design and in in textile design. Like you are, 
I can see someone, some historian oh. typing oh. <laughs> all like, those things that you're doing. <laughs> it's so funny you said that because literally I just started working with a book agent and I haven't even announced this anywhere publicly, but I am researching them in the early early better stage of writing a book on the heritage of Black American craft. And I am digging into these stories, you know, historical notes and journals, but also profiling in a very robust way um, Black designers today, contemporary people who work with weaving and furniture and leather and textiles and uh, fabric and wood to, you know, cull our stories together. Because I that's my passion most. I think with all of my work, I know at the heart of it is amplifying the collective work, you know, of the community. I, I love what I do and that people get to engage in it. But if it's not also being able to amplify other incredible people and their process and their journeys, I'm a little less interested. So this book is a passion project. It, I have no idea how long it will take me to write it because the research, I'm looking at it now like, Ooh, you know, it's a lot. <laughs> but it's it's I'm so incredibly excited to hopefully one day bring this to life and be able to share these stories and these anecdotes in a, in a way that hasn't in, in sort of this the style been documented. So, yes, yeah, so when that is done, I will be sure to let you know. <laughs> please do. I will pre-order. <laughs> yes. Thank you. The pre-orders. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is the word. <laughs> Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. I like I am just over the moon to chat with you. Thank and you, I can't wait to just follow you and keep seeing that that star of yours shining. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. This has been a blessing. I'm I'm grateful to you and to your audience, your warmth. This this has been a highlight of my day. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.